Hello there, and welcome to episode 31 of Down to Sleep, the podcast of softly spoken stories where I read to you every week whilst you drift off. Let's go ahead and tuck you in tonight and listen to Beauty and the Beast. If you have found this podcast useful and you would like to support it, you can join the Sleepy Little Book Club at patreon.com slash down to sleep. For a few dollars a month, you get extended episodes and a bonus reading every single week. So, for example, this episode is actually 45 minutes long. If you are a supporter on Patreon, it is the entire book. And the bonus episodes every week are just like a normal episode, but they're just for people on Patreon. These can be everything from Lord of the Rings to a continuation of the picture of Dorian Gray and a complete reading of Alice in Wonderland. So come and join us and support Down to Sleep at patreon.com slash down to sleep. We'd love to have you join us, but otherwise, thank you so much for being here. I hope that this episode helps you, and let's slip right in to this book tonight. Take a nice deep breath, let's tuck you in, and begin Beauty and the Beast. Once upon a time, in a far-off country, there lived a merchant who had been so fortunate in all his undertakings that he was enormously rich. As he had six sons and six daughters, however, who were accustomed to having everything they fancied, he did not find that he had a penny too much. But misfortunes befell them. One day their house caught fire and speedily burned to the ground. With all the splendid furniture, books, pictures, gold, silver, and precious goods that it contained. The father suddenly lost every ship that he had upon the sea, either by dint of pirates, shipwreck, or fire. Then he heard that his clerks in distant countries, whom he had trusted entirely, had proved unfaithful. And at last, from great wealth, he fell into the direst poverty. All that he had left was a little house in a desolate place, at least a hundred leagues from the town, and to this he was forced to retreat. His children were in despair at the idea of leading such a different life. The daughters at first hoped their friends, who had been so numerous while they were rich, would insist on their staying in their houses, but they soon found they were left alone. Their former friends even attributed their misfortunes to their own extravagance and showed no intention of offering them any help. So nothing was left for them but to take their departure to the cottage, which stood in the midst of a dark forest and seemed to be the most dismal place on the face of the earth. As they were too poor to have any servants, the girls had to work hard, and the sons, for their part, cultivated the fields to earn their living. Roughly clothed and living in the simplest way, the girls regretted unceasingly the luxuries and amusements of their former life. Only the youngest daughter tried to be brave and cheerful. She had been as sad as anyone when misfortune first overtook their father, but soon recovering her natural gaiety, she set to work to make the best of things to amuse her father and brothers as well as she could, and to persuade her sisters to join her in dancing and singing. But they would do nothing of the sort, and because she was not as doleful as themselves, they declared this miserable life was all she was fit for. 
that she was really far prettier and cleverer than they were. Indeed, she was so lovely, she was always called Beauty. After two years, when they were all beginning to get used to their new life, their father received news that one of his ships, which he had believed lost, had come safely into port with a rich cargo. All the sons and daughters at once thought their poverty was at an end, and wanted to set out directly for the town, but their father, who was more prudent, begged them to wait a little, and though it was harvest time and he could ill be spared, determined to go himself to make inquiries. Only the youngest daughter had any doubt that they would soon again be as rich as they were before. They all loaded their father with commissions for jewels and dresses which it would have taken a fortune to buy. Only Beauty, feeling sure it was of no use, did not ask for anything. Her father, noticing her silence, said, "'And what shall I bring for you, Beauty?' "'The only thing I wish for is to see you come home safely,' she answered. But this reply vexed her sisters, who fancied she was blaming them for having asked for such costly things. Her father, however, was pleased. As he thought that at her age she certainly ought to like pretty presents, he told her to choose something. "'Well, dear father,' she said, "'as you insist upon it, I beg that you will bring me a rose. "'I have not seen one since we came here, and I love them so much.' "'The merchant reached town as quickly as possible, "'only to find that his former companions, believing him to be dead, "'had divided his cargo between them. After six months of trouble and expense, he found himself as poor as when he started on his journey. To make matters worse, he was obliged to return in the most terrible weather. By the time he was within a few leagues of his home, he was almost exhausted with cold and fatigue. Though he knew it would take some hours to get through the forest, he resolved to go on. But night overtook him and the deep snow and the bitter frost made it impossible for his horse to carry him any farther. Not a house was to be seen. The only shelter he could get was the hollow trunk of a great tree, and there he crouched all the night, which seemed to him the longest that he had ever known. The howling of the wolves kept him awake, and when at last day broke, the falling snow had covered every path, and he did not know which way to turn. At length he made out some sort of path, but it was so rough and slippery that he fell down more than once. Presently it led him into an avenue of trees which ended in a splendid castle. It seemed to the merchant very strange that no snow had fallen in the avenue of orange trees covered with flowers and fruit. When he reached the first court of the castle, he saw before him a flight of agate steps. He went up them and passed through several splendidly furnished rooms. The pleasant warmth of the air revived him, and he felt very hungry, but there seemed to be nobody in all this vast and splendid palace. Deep silence reigned everywhere 
and at last, tired of roaming through empty rooms and galleries, he stopped in a room smaller than the rest, where a clear fire was burning and a couch was drawn up cosily before it. Thinking this must be prepared for someone who was expected, he sat down to wait, till he should come, and very soon fell into a sweet sleep. When his extreme hunger wakened him after several hours, he was still alone. But a little table with a good dinner on it had been drawn up close to him. He lost no time in beginning his meal, hoping he might soon thank his considerate host, whoever it may be. But no one appeared, and even after another long sleep from which he awoke completely refreshed, there was no sign of anybody. Though a fresh meal of dainty cakes and fruit was prepared upon the little table at his elbow. Because he was naturally timid, the silence began to terrify him, and he resolved to search once more through all the rooms. But it was of no use, there was no sign of life in the palace. He wondered what he should do to amuse himself. He began pretending that all the treasures he saw were his own, considering how he would divide them among his children. Then he went down into the garden, and though it was winter everywhere else, here the sun shone, the birds sang, the flowers bloomed, and the air was soft and sweet. The merchant, in ecstasies with all he saw and heard, said to himself, All this must be meant for me. I will go this minute and bring my children to share all these delights. In spite of being so cold and weary, when he reached the castle, he had taken his horse to the stable and fed it. Now he thought he would saddle it for his homeward journey, and he turned down the path which led to the stable. This path had a hedge of roses on each side of it, and the merchant thought he had never seen such exquisite flowers. They reminded him of his promise to beauty, and he stopped and had just gathered one to take to her when he was startled by a strange noise behind him. Turning round, he saw a frightful beast, which seemed to be very angry and said in a terrible voice, Who told you you might gather my roses? Was it not enough that I sheltered you in my palace and was kind to you? This is the way you show your gratitude by stealing my flowers. Your insolence shall not go unpunished. The merchant, terrified by these furious words, dropped the fatal rose. Throwing himself on his knees, he cried, Pardon me, noble sir, I am truly grateful for your hospitality, which was so magnificent I could not imagine you would be offended by my taking such a little thing as a rose. But the beast's anger was not lessened by his speech. You are very ready with excuses and flattery, he cried, but that will not save you from the death you deserve. Alas, thought the merchant, if my daughter Beauty could only know into what danger her rose has brought me. And in despair he began to tell the beast all his misfortunes, the reason for his journey, not forgetting to mention Beauty's request. A king's ransom would hardly have procured all that my other daughters asked for, he said, but I thought I might at least take beauty a rose. I beg you to forgive me, for you see I meant no harm. The beast said in a less furious tone, 
I will forgive you on one condition. That you will give me one of your daughters. Ah, cried the merchant, if I were cruel enough to buy my own life at the expense of one of my children's, what excuse could I invent to bring her here? None, answered the beast. If she comes at all, she must come willingly. On no other condition will I have her. See if any of them is courageous enough and loves you enough to come and save your life. You seem to be an honest man, so I will trust you to go home. I give you a month to see if any of your daughters will come back with you and stay here to let you go free. If none of them is willing, you must come alone. After bidding them goodbye forever, for then you will belong to me. And do not imagine that you can hide from me. For if you fail to keep your word, I will come and fetch you, added the beast grimly. The merchant accepted this proposal, though he did not really think that any of his daughters would be persuaded to come. He promised to return at the time appointed, and, anxious to escape from the presence of the beast, he asked permission to set off at once. But the beast answered he could not go until the next day. Then you will find a horse ready for you, he said. Now go and eat your supper and await my orders. The poor merchant, more dead than alive, went back to his room where the most delicious supper was already served on a little table, drawn up before a blazing fire. But he was too terrified to eat, and only tasted a few of the dishes for fear the beast should be angry if he did not obey his orders. When he had finished, he heard a great noise in the next room, which he knew meant that the beast was coming. As he could do nothing to escape his visit, the only thing that remained was to seem as little afraid as possible. So when the beast appeared and asked roughly if he had supped well, the merchant answered humbly that he had, thanks to his host's kindness. Then the beast warned him to remember their agreement and to prepare his daughter exactly for what she had to expect. Do not get up tomorrow, he added, until you see the sun and hear a golden bell ring. Then you will find your breakfast waiting for you, and the horse that you were to ride will be ready in the courtyard. He will also bring you back again when you come with your daughter a month hence. Farewell. Take a rose to beauty and remember your promise. The merchant lay down until the sun rose. After breakfast he went to gather Beauty's rose and mounted his horse, which carried him off so swiftly that in an instant he had lost sight of the palace. He was still wrapped in gloomy thoughts when the horse stopped before the door of his cottage. His sons and daughters, who had been uneasy at his long absence, rushed to meet him, eager to know the results of his journey, which, seeing him mounted upon a splendid horse and wrapped in a rich mantle, they supposed to be favourable. But he hid the truth from them at first, only saying sadly to Beauty as he gave her the rose. Here is what you asked me to bring you. Little you know what it has cost. But this excited their curiosity so greatly 
but presently he told them his adventures from beginning to end, and then they were all very unhappy. The girls lamented loudly over their lost hopes, and the sons declared their father should not return to the terrible castle, and began to make plans for killing the beast if it should come to fetch him. But he reminded them. He had promised to go back. Then the girls were very angry with Beauty and said it was all her fault. If she had asked for something sensible, this would never have happened. Poor Beauty, much distressed, said to them, I have indeed caused this misfortune, but who could have guessed that to ask for a rose in the middle of summer would cause so much misery? But as I did the mischief, it is only just that I should suffer for it. I will therefore go back with my father to keep his promise. At first nobody would hear of it. Her father and brothers who loved her dearly declared nothing should make them let her go. But Beauty was firm. As the time drew near, she divided her little possessions between her sisters and said goodbye to everything she loved. When the fatal day came, she encouraged and cheered her father as they mounted together the horse which had brought him back. It seemed to fly rather than gallop, but so smoothly that Beauty was not frightened indeed she would have enjoyed the journey, if she had not feared what might happen at the end of it. Her father still tried to persuade her to go back, but in vain. While they were talking, the night fell. Then, to their great surprise, wonderful colored lights began to shine in all directions, and splendid fireworks blazed out before them. All the forest was illuminated. They even felt pleasantly warm, though it had been bitterly cold before. They reached the avenue of orange trees and saw that the palace was brilliantly lighted from roof to ground and music sounded softly from the courtyard. The beast must be very hungry, said Beauty, trying to laugh, if he makes all this rejoicing over the arrival of his prey. But in spite of her anxiety, she admired all of the wonderful things she saw. When they had dismounted, her father led her to the little room that he had been in before. Here they found a splendid fire burning, and the table daintily spread with a delicious supper. The merchant knew that this was meant for them, and Beauty, who was less frightened now that she had passed through so many rooms and seen nothing of the beast, was quite willing to begin, for her long ride had made her very hungry. They had hardly finished their meal when the noise of the beast's footsteps was heard approaching. Beauty clung to her father in terror, which became all the greater when she saw how frightened he was. But when the beast really appeared, though she trembled at the sight of him, she made a great effort to hide her horror and saluted him respectfully. This evidently pleased the beast. After looking at her, he said in a tone that might have struck terror into the boldest heart, though he did not seem to be angry. Good evening, old man. Good evening, beauty. The merchant.
merchant was too terrified to reply, but Beauty answered sweetly, Good evening, Beast. Have you come willingly? asked the Beast. Will you be content to stay here when your father goes away? Beauty answered bravely that she was quite prepared to stay. I am pleased with you, said the Beast. As you have come of your own accord, you may remain. As for you, old man, he added, turning to the merchant, at sunrise tomorrow you take your departure. When the bell rings, get up quickly and eat your breakfast, and you will find the same horse waiting to take you home. But remember, you must never expect to see my palace again. Turning to Beauty, he said, Take your father into the next room and help him choose gifts for your brothers and sisters. You will find two traveling trunks there. Fill them as full as you can. It is only just that you should send them something very precious as remembrance. He went away after saying, Goodbye, Beauty. Goodbye, old man. Beauty was beginning to think with great dismay of her father's departure, but she was afraid to disobey the beast's orders. They went into the next room, which had shelves and cupboards all around it. They were greatly surprised at the riches that it contained. There were splendid dresses fit for a queen with all the ornaments to be worn with them. When Beauty opened the cupboard, she was dazzled by the gorgeous jewels lying in heaps upon every shelf. After choosing a vast quantity which she had divided between her sisters, she had made the heap of wonderful dresses for each of them, she opened the last chest, which was full of gold. I think, father, she said, that as the gold will be more useful to you, we had better take out the other things and fill the trunks with it. So they did this. But the more they put in, the more room there seemed to be, and at last they put back all the jewels and dresses that they had taken out. And Beauty even added as many more of the jewels as she could carry at once. Even when the trunks were not too full, but they were so heavy an elephant could not have carried them. The beast was mocking us, cried the merchant. He pretended to give us all these things, knowing I could not carry them away. Let us wait and see, answered Beauty. I cannot believe that he meant to deceive us. All we can do is fasten them up and have them ready. So they did this and returned to the little room where, to their astonishment, they found breakfast ready. The merchant ate with his good appetite as the beast's generosity made him believe he might perhaps venture to come back soon and see Beauty. But she felt sure that her father was leaving her forever. So she was very sad when the bell rang sharply for the second time, and warned them that the time was come for them to part. They went down into the courtyard where two horses were waiting, one loaded with the two trunks, the other for him to ride. They were pouring the ground in their impatience to start, and the merchant bade Beauty a hasty farewell. As soon as he was mounted, he went off at such a pace she lost sight of him in an instant. Then Beauty began to cry, and wandered sadly back to her own room. But she soon found that she was very, 
sleepy, and as she had nothing better to do, she lay down and instantly fell asleep. She dreamed she was walking by a brook bordered with trees lamenting her sad fate, when a young prince, handsomer than anyone that she had ever seen, and with a voice that went straight to her heart, came and said to her, Beauty, you are not so unfortunate as you suppose. Here you will be rewarded for all you have suffered elsewhere. Your every wish shall be gratified. Only try to find me out, no matter how I may be disguised, for I love you dearly. And in making me happy, you will find your own happiness. Be as true-hearted as you are beautiful. We shall have nothing else left to wish for. What can I do, Prince, to make you happy? said Beauty. Only be grateful, he answered. And do not trust too much to your eyes. Above all, do not desert me until you have saved me from my cruel misery. After this, she thought she found herself in a room with a stately and beautiful lady who said to her, Dear Beauty, try not to regret all that you have left behind you. You are destined for a better fate. Only do not let yourself be deceived by appearances. Beauty found her dreams so interesting that she was in no hurry to awake. But presently the clock roused her by calling her name softly. Twelve times. Then she rose and found her dressing table set out with everything she could possibly want. She found dinner waiting in the room next to hers. But dinner does not take very long when one is alone. And very soon she sat down cosily in the corner of a sofa and began to think about the charming prince that she had seen in her dream. He said I could make him happy, said Beauty to herself. It seems then that this horrible beast keeps him a prisoner. How can I set him free? I wonder why they both told me not to trust appearances, but after all it was only a dream, so why should I trouble myself about it? I had better find something to do to amuse myself. She began to explore some of the many rooms of the palace. The first she entered was lined with mirrors. Beauty saw herself reflected on every side and thought she had never seen such a charming room. Then a bracelet which was hanging from a chandelier caught her eye, and on taking it down she was greatly surprised to find that it held a portrait of her unknown admirer, just as she had seen in her dream. With great delight she slipped the bracelet on her arm and went into a gallery of pictures, where she soon found a portrait of the same handsome prince as large as life and so well painted that as she studied it he seemed to smile kindly at her. Tearing herself away from the portrait at last she passed into a room which contained every musical instrument under the sun. Here she amused herself for a long while, trying them, singing until she was tired. The next room was a library and she saw everything she had ever wanted to read as well as everything that she had read. By this time it was growing dusk, and wax candles in diamond and ruby candlesticks lit themselves in every room. 
Beauty found her supper served just at the time she preferred to have it. She did not see anyone or hear a sound. Though her father had warned her she would be alone, she began to find it rather dull. Presently, she heard the beast coming, and wondered tremblingly if he meant to eat her now. However, he did not seem at all ferocious, and only said gruffly, Good evening, beauty. She answered cheerfully and managed to conceal her terror. The beast asked how she had been amusing herself. She told him all the rooms that she had seen. Then he asked if she thought she could be happy in his palace. Beauty answered that everything was so beautiful she would be very hard to please if she could not be happy. After about an hour's talk, Beauty began to think the beast was not nearly so terrible as she had supposed at first. Then he rose to leave her, and said in a gruff voice, Do you love me, Beauty? Will you marry me? Oh, what shall I say? cried Beauty. She was afraid to make the beast angry by refusing. Say yes, or no, without fear, he replied. Oh, no, beast, said Beauty hastily. Since you will not. Good night, Beauty. She answered, Good night, beast. Very glad to find her refusal had not provoked him. After he was gone, she was very soon in bed and dreaming of her unknown prince. And that is where we close the book on Beauty and the Beast and this episode of Down to Sleep. If you would like to hear the entire book, the whole reading, then come and join me at patreon.com slash down to sleep, where the episodes are longer and you get a whole extra reading every single week. Come and join us. But for now, it is time for you to go and have some dreams of your own, just like beauty here. And I hope that yours are just as sweet. Good night.